0: Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, lead pastor Josh Carstensen continues a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. In Paul's two letters to Timothy, we'll look at what is going on with Christian churches and Christian leaders. Specifically, we'll talk about how to be a high functioning and healthy church and leader. After some background, we'll also discuss five charges that Paul gives Timothy. And then after the message and throughout the week, read both letters to Timothy. Also, check out nwhills.com/hub, that's h u b for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message.
1: If you have a Bible, we'll be in 1st and 2nd Timothy. If you got a black Bible on the seat back in front of you that is on page 991. Uh, Otherwise, it's towards the end of the Bible. We're getting there. We're getting close to the end. And so, man, for those of you who've been following along with us, man, thank you. That is an effort. That is not one that uh, happens on accident or easily. Uh, We've been plowing through this year. And so, man, good job with that. Our theme, uh, what is going on? It's, uh, do I sound uh, hot or loud to you? I sound good. Yes, some people say, my wife says I sound hot. Okay, uh, I too am married. Um, I wear two rings just to make sure. Uh, some, some cultures go different fingers. So our, what is going on? Yeah, um, this, this question is, is one that we've been asking all year. And, and it really is a question that comes up a lot. I, I have heard it a thousand times this last year. Um, what's going on, right? What's going on with culture? What's going on with kind of the ethical, moral status of our country? Um, Some of us are are walking out of weeks where we're going, what's going on with my family? What's going on with my health? Um, Some of you at church, like if if you're not used to church, um, this morning is a a very big what is going on moment. Um, At some point uh, in this service, we're going to do communion and we will uh, kind of walk to these little stations around the room. We will grab a small uh, cup of juice and a piece of cracker, and um, we will eat that together. And if you're not used to that, that's really weird. Like, I, I fully recognize that. And so there's a lot of what's going on questions that we kind of want to know what's happening. And really the bigger picture question that we're asking in all this is, uh, where is God in all this? right? Like where, where is God in um, this service? What is he doing? Is, does God really want us to drink this juice and eat this cracker? Because that, again, it feels weird. And, and where is God in my family? Is he causing things to happen? Is he allowing them Right when I turn on the news and, and I see something that's disturbing, um, which is the vast majority of all news, is is God behind that? Is He involved at a macro level? Is He involved at a micro level? Um, where is God in all this? And, and then beyond any of that, um, you know, what am I supposed to do about it? Right, And so in order to answer all those questions, we've been going through the entire Bible this year, one book a week. Uh, It's a big feat, a big task. And so really it's kind of the deepest dive you can get. We're asking you to do the whole thing. Um, And as we've been going through it, we're seeing where God is and who he is and then really not just to get the picture of who God is, but how do I move forward? So the, what is going on? I, I hope you've picked up on this. There's two parts to it. It's one, um, it's, it's giving an explanation for what's happening, but then it's giving instruction on how to go on, right? So what is going on? What's going on is when you do this. And so we're trying to get to that application, not just understanding because understanding without application is worthless. And so uh, our, our heart and our endeavor every week is to kind of look at a, a book and say, what's going on in this book? And then how do I go on? And today's no different. We got two books today. Uh, we're in first and second Timothy. And, and today I'm going to ask the bigger question of what is going on with church and leaders? Um, what's going on particularly with Christian church and Christian leaders? Um, if, if you grew up in the church, there's a lot of different experiences that we might have, right? I'm, I'm 38 years old. I actually found out this last week that I am the average age of an American, Uh, The median age in America is 38 years old, which is actually a lot older than it has historically been uh, because we have problems having kids these days, apparently, and everyone's living a lot longer, Uh, good and bad news, uh, depending upon how you read it. But either way, um, in my 38 years, I've seen a lot of good and I've seen a lot of hard in terms of churches, in terms of leaders. Right, you think about the different churches that we um are familiar with, that we've been around and and uh you know, you, you kinda wonder why do people do church the way that they do it? And there's a lot of different types of churches. Right. So even just thinking about the number of Christian churches that we have in this town, we got a lot of them. Um, I'm connected with a lot of different church leaders, and um, we've got a list of well over 20 different churches who say that Jesus is God, uh, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who died, uh, rose again, and we put our faith in him, and we have eternity with him. Uh, And there's a lot of churches that believe that, kind of first-order beliefs. We share a lot of commonality between a lot of churches. Um, But then there's also a lot of differences between a lot of different churches, Right? You think about how we do services, right? Some churches, you know, we got a little praise band here and man, JJ's coming back next week. That's super fun. And Lexi, great job with uh, carrying that mantle these last couple of weeks. And, you know, some churches, they, they sing acapella and some churches do communion some way and some churches do it another way. And, and there's so many different ways to do church. And, and how do we get that? Where does that instruction come from? What does church look like? And, you know, what is a good church and what is a bad church? And what's a, a good leader and a bad leader? If if you've been around churches long enough, you've hopefully had uh, some good leaders in your life, and um, probably a lot of us have had some pretty poor leaders as well. I think about some of the good leaders that I've had in my life. I, I think about uh, my my first pastor that I was under as a as a younger kid, and just uh, he poured into me and, and mentored me. And man, I learned a ton from him. and And I think about my my season here with Rich Hagenbaugh. Some of you might remember Pastor Rich. He was a uh, um, an interim pastor here for a number of years, and for three years I just sat with him, and, and man, he just poured out uh, into my life. And man, I learned a lot from him. and And I even think about a, a Ron King, Ron. Probably right now is outside setting up for um, our picnic today. He's yeah, Sue. I love you, Sue. Um, you think about someone who's been in pastoral ministry for forty years, and and I can look at Ron and with my head held high say, there's a man who has followed the Lord faithfully for years. And man, I hope to be like that someday. And then all of us know people who haven't ended well, and we all know uh, a long maybe a list. Of leaders who you look at and you just go, man, I I don't want to live my life like that. And there's a lot of hurt and pain. And and you think about people who have left the church because of poor leaders. Like I've got a long list of friends um, who will point to different leaders and say, I want nothing to do with Christianity because of a leader like that. And so um, as we look at what it looks like to be a healthy church, Right, as we look at what it looks like to be a, a strong leader um, today through this um really unique portion of scripture that we call the pastoral epistles, uh, really three books here. First, second Timothy of the next week, I'll be in the book of Titus. Um we're gonna see some very clear instruction of what it looks like to have a healthy, high functioning leader and church. And so that's what our goal is today, um, is to look at, um, what a healthy church and a healthy leader look like. And to do that, we're going to try to tackle 1st and 2nd Timothy. Uh, 95% of my time will be in 1st Timothy. I'll just touch on 2nd Timothy. I would encourage you, uh, like we do all weeks to go ahead and read that, uh, on your own this next week. And man, there's, there's a lot there. So, Here's uh here's what I want to do. I want to give you a little bit of an introduction of kind of who Paul is and where he's writing. Uh I want to give you a little bit of flavor of the relationship between Paul and Timothy and then I got five charges from the book. Um there's a lot or from the letters. There there's there's so many things that we could preach on uh, as there is every week, but I I think there's five that I want to hold on to as what I think are really imperative to this text. And uh and I think that's what we have time for today. So uh, in opening these uh, books, we got to know who Paul is, um, and we've got to kind of know where he writes. Um, so Paul, man, he's we met him early on in the in the new testament we met him in the book of acts um he wasn't one of the original apostles he wasn't with jesus when jesus was walking earth but uh he's kind of a big deal in uh, in acts chapter 9 he meets jesus he was very uh, and this is post resurrected jesus jesus has to come back from heaven to like capture this guy's attention that's how big of a deal it was um, but Paul had his life set on being very much against the church. He was very anti Christian, um, and kind of his life trajectory was let's stop this movement of Christianity. Uh, Jesus meets him, Paul gets saved, and then he goes on three different missionary journeys, which we've talked about off and on through the last couple months. Uh, on these different journeys, he's writing letters to different churches, he's planting churches. Uh, he ends up imprisoned, he gets arrested in Jerusalem, he gets sent to Rome, and in Rome, he writes a number number of different letters uh, to these churches. And so over the last number of weeks, we've read different letters to different churches, right? We've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonians. Those were letters written to these different churches. Um, But by the time the book of Acts ends, in Acts chapter 28, Paul is still in prison. It's his first imprisonment. Uh, He's still in prison, and uh, we don't know what happens by the time that Acts 28 ends. So you got to go outside of biblical history to understand how the story continues to give us some context for where these letters come in today. So after Acts 28, um, we learn from a couple of different historians, Eusebius in second century, he writes about what happens to Paul. Paul's released from prison, and he goes on what most people consider a fourth missionary journey. Um, we don't know exactly where he went. Most people believe he probably went to Spain uh, because at the end of uh, I believe. Uh, Romans, Romans 15, he says, this is where I want to go. And most people believe that he goes there. And on this fourth journey, Paul writes two letters. Uh, the first letter that he writes is the letter that we're going to open up today in 1 Timothy. And the second letter that he writes is the letter to Titus. And we will read that next week. Uh, on this fourth missionary journey, he gets arrested again. Uh, he's taken back to Rome again. He's in prison again. And the second imprisonment uh, in, in that second imprisonment, he writes another letter, the, finer le- the final letter that he writes, and that is the book of 2 Timothy. So, what we're going to open up this week, what I'm going to open today, is literally the last words of Paul before he's beheaded by Roman authorities. And so, that's kind of the context for where Paul was. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of flavor for the relationship between Paul and Timothy. I'm going to talk about how they met, and then I'm going to give us five charges. We hanging so far? Yes. Okay. Good. Um, You know, let's go ahead and stand. Um, We're going to get some flavor from 1 Timothy. We're going to start just in the intro to 1 Timothy. I'm going to give you the intro to 2 Timothy, and then share a little bit about how Paul and Timothy became buds. 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, go ahead and turn to the next book, 2 Timothy. It should just be a page or two later. Um, remember, as he's writing this one, he's no longer a free man. He was a free man when he wrote the first one. This one, he's in prison. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus... To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. Thank you. Um, Immediately in in both of these contexts, in both letters, we see that Paul calls Timothy his child. Uh, This is not his actual child. Uh, Timothy is not a child. They have been friends, confidants for over 20 years at this point. Um, But they have a kind of younger brother, older brother, mentor-type relationship. Uh, Paul and Timothy first get connected on Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, It wasn't an easy stop in this town for Paul. He's actually stoned Not with weed, but with rocks, um, to the point of uh, people thought he was dead, uh, and his body's dragged out in the city. He's like, "All right, I'm going to get up and and get back at it again." And and something through that kind of captured Timothy's attention. He thought, "Okay, I want to join this guy." And so on his second journey, when he comes back, I believe that's when Timothy joins him, and he joins him for a vast majority of his. Full second and third journeys. So he's with him for a number of years. This is not just a one-off relationship. Uh, in terms of the dynamics of the two of them, Paul—if uh, you know Paul—he's pretty aggressive. He's straightforward. He is a preacher. Uh Timothy absolutely is a church leader. He is more of a shepherd. He is a nice guy. He's caring. He's loving. Uh, it's good to have multiple dynamics of leaderships within a church. Uh, Paul also uh sends out Timothy a couple of different times uh to go do some church consulting, some church care at a couple of different places. He does this he does this in Berea, he does this um in Corinth, which I think is actually funny. Like I think it's funny that Paul doesn't go himself, but he sends someone to go to a really messy situation. I was thinking about it this week, it's like asking the youth pastor to preach revelation. Um, you got this, Gary, you got it. Uh, uh, and so Paul does that, Timothy, he's a good guy. Um, he does some, some consultation work actually in Thessalonica as well. And by the time that Paul writes, uh, Timothy is a leader, he's a pastor at the church in Ephesus. Which is a big deal if you remember um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and some of his warnings, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, So, so Timothy, absolutely um, solid leader in the church, um, was with Paul a long time and experienced um, the highs and lows of what these different journeys were all about. Um, By the time Paul's writing to Timothy, um, there's it's a spirit of hey, here's what's going on in your church, and here's what you need to hear. Um, I was talking to our crew earlier this morning, our, our people who are kind of here helping um, just make the morning happen, and, and we we're talking about how beautiful it is in these pastoral epistles that the biblical writers didn't spell out, this is exactly how you need to do church, but they give some general principles. Uh, in this letter, he's writing to a specific church at a specific time with specific problems, this is not his magnum opus of this is what every church everywhere needs to look like. So there's there's a lot of beauty and variety, I think. And God, in his infinite wisdom, knowing that church would go for thousands of years, just gave some basic principles. But in here, we're going to see um, Paul speaking to some very specific issues, which will have some weight as we unpack the book here in a minute, because he's going to talk about some issues that uh, that were very pertinent to this church. So I want to talk about five things here. Um, A a charge from Paul to Timothy. Timothy's leading a local church. Um, He's helping oversee a group of local churches in the area. And Paul's got some things to say. So let's go number one. Uh, For those of you note takers, I got five points. Uh, A good church and a good leader might be lonely at times. Um, You open up 1 Timothy and immediately there's some niceties, there's some greetings, some salutations. Hey, how you doing, friend? I love you. We have a relationship. I care for you. Um, false teachers are arising within your church. Um, and, and we see this uh, immediately. Let's go chapter one, verse three. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. "...nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident, uh, confident assertions." He's saying, hey, there's, there's people within your church, uh, likely even people outside the church that are saying, there is a certain way to live and they have it wrong. Um, there's a certain way to understand scripture and they have it wrong. Anytime we get outside the biblical framework of who God says he is, and we we like to make up our own definitions about what is good in life and what leads to human flourishing, we find ourselves in a heap of trouble. And Paul recognizes that this was going on uh, in the church at Ephesus, and he says, hey, um, just be careful, because guess what? If you are going to hold on to biblical authority, if you're going to be a voice of reason and truth that holds on to um, what is true here, you're going to be alone very often. There's a lot of people who are speaking things that they're saying, this is what's good for people and they have it wrong. And you gotta call them out when they have it wrong. You gotta do it with gentleness and grace and kindness. But guess what? Sometimes being a follower of Jesus puts you in a pretty lonely spot because people wanna say things that make their own ears tingle, we will hear later. And you think about what it's like being a follower of Jesus today. And uh, we absolutely live in a culture that um, we love creating our own definitions of what's good and what's godly. Um, We create these definitions based on our own feelings uh, within the kind of minute of whatever situation we're living in, and in order to be um, really walking in truth and grace and understanding of what's real, it's got to be grounded in something, not just in your feelings in that moment, and um, the truth of the matter is, um, man, oftentimes that's lonely. Right? You, you think about if you're a, a senior citizen here today and, and you're living in a home and, and you're one of the only Christians in your whole community. That, that's lonely. It's lonely saying that, that what's true and right is defined by this book. Right? It's lonely if you're in high school and, and other people don't share your worldview. That can be lonely. It, it can be lonely if you're in a workplace and, and you're saying, no, this is what's right, this is what's true, this is what leads to the betterment of a society. Uh, that can be lonely. And so Paul just addresses that up front. Hey, it's going to be lonely, but you've got to call things what they are. And we've got to be honest about what's true. Being a good church and a good leader can be lonely. Let me continue on. Uh, A good church and a good leader has a heart for those in the room and those not in the room. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. I just want to say it one more time. Be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Man, if a church does not have a heart for the lost, a church does not have the heart of God. See, so here's, here's the truth. We, we manage a pretty significant tension as a church. Um, every week, uh, we're trying to figure out how do we um, love the seasoned believer... Uh, how do we teach in such a way that if you've been a Christian for 50 years that I can compel you and I can try to encourage you and the Holy Spirit will guide and lead in that. But we also need to be a church and a people that are very open and very accessible to the person who does not believe this yet. Right? We have to have a heart for loss and that has to carry out into my own life as well right? Like for all of us, like we say our vision is to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to make him known. And that make him known piece, we intentionally, we try to strip down a lot of our programming here so that not all of our time will be consumed with church people, right? So that we can have time to love people who do not love the Lord yet. And that's the heart of God. That's the absolute heart of God. And and I don't know about you, but sometimes my heart wavers in this. Sometimes I go through seasons where I'm just like, yes, I'm I'm trying to spend a lot of time with people who do not love Jesus. and, And I love it. And it's encouraging. And that's where my heart is. And sometimes my heart is like, man, God, would you just Sodom and Gomorrah our city who's doing all kinds of things that I hate? Right? But that's not the heart of God. Right? The heart of God is he is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He is patient he is kind and he wants people to know him right so um, i want our church to be a welcoming place right if you're here and and you don't know about this whole what you believe about any of this like i'd say praise god that you're here right you can be honest about that we can have conversation about that like you are so welcome here you don't have to pretend like nothing's worse than going to church and pretending right that's ridiculous like god knows where you're at Uh, Who cares cares what people around you think? Let's be honest. There's a place for you here. And my heart is that the longer we go as a church, the more and more places there are for people like that. And so, you know, that may mean we're trying to do things a little bit differently in different spaces. And and that means, I I don't know, there's a lot of different ways to be creative in that. And we want our heart to be that way forever, which is why almost every single week we do this little section in in our services called kingdom prayer, right? At, At the heart of all of our kingdom prayers Is a prayer that somehow we would be empowered and encouraged to be able to preach the gospel so that people would get saved who don't know Jesus yet. Man, a healthy church has a heart for the lost. I hope we continue in that. Number three, um, this is a fun point. I'm going to hang on this for a bit and I might ruffle some feathers, and that's okay. Someone told me this morning, I was walking in the lobby and, and she says, Oh, you walk around like a principal. I was like, um, what does that mean? She was like, you, you walk around like you know what you're doing. I'm like, well, let's see when we get to point number three. Um, which ironically, I actually do feel very confident in this. But um, a good church and a good leader has godly standards for its leaders. Let's go to uh, chapter three, verse one. Um, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Um, Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are some of the most debated scriptures uh, in terms of ecclesiology and church government. Um, And at the center of this, it comes down to roles and responsibilities and standards for its leaders, um, what I just read, no one's going to look at and go like, "Huh, that seems controversial." Um, but let's just turn back a page. Let's go to chapter two, um, and and this will raise some eyebrows, and it should. And I will I will do my best to explain what I believe is going on here. Uh, chapter two, verse eight, and, and I think it's important to to talk about these uh, in service because if you read it this week and you're like, "Oh, that seemed really weak," that the pastor wasn't willing to talk about that out loud. And I don't want to be that pastor. So here we go. I desire then um, that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. um, I'm going to say two things about this today. Uh, Lord willing, February 11th, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this topic. Uh, but today I'm going to say two things. And the first one is a question, but as we get going in there, I'll I'll say this, man, we as a church, we want to talk about hard things and we want these conversations to be open. Uh, we want them to be filled with grace. Uh, if you have questions about anything, we would just ask, like, just come talk to us, like, come talk to me, come talk to Ron, come talk to any of our elders. Like, we are doing our best to understand some hard spots in Scripture, uh, and, and there's room for interpretation in this. And so, if you disagree with me, that's okay. Uh, I, I'm going to, with humility, say, hey, here's what I think is happening here, um, but we want to be a church that honestly has dialogue about hard conversations like this. So, um, first thing that I'm going to say, is it wrong for women to braid their hair in church? Um <laughs> The irony in this is last night I was braiding one of my daughter's hair, um, really like for the first time. She was shocked that I knew how to braid hair. Um, I don't have a lot of personal experience with this, but I have two sisters braided a lot of hair growing up, Um, not mine. And um, I think clearly, um, other than your preference of fashion and style, I think most people are going to say that it's perfectly okay to have braided hair in a church service. Um, Although ironically, I don't see any braids this morning. Oh, You took it out. You're like, you're going through chapter two, like Ugh. any gold jewelry in here. We might have some. Um, so I think we're going to, we're going to just throw that out, right? We're going to say, well, that's not applicable. And so if, if that first section isn't applicable, then does that mean that second section isn't applicable, right? Well, well what's going on with that? Um, I, I think he, he spells it out. He, he's talking about modesty, He's talking about, like, hey, we want to dress ourselves. We want to be approachable in such a way that, that shows, like, hey, I'm following the Lord. Like, I don't want to look like a hooker. I want to look like someone who loves Jesus, right? And if you're a hooker here today and you're trying to figure that out, praise God, let's figure it out. But he's saying, hey, there's a, there's a time and a place to be appropriate in what we look like. Uh, church is that time and a place and probably forever. Um, but then he goes on and, and he's talking about an issue in this church. So so in this church, you've got a group of people who apparently were taking over, a group of women who were taking over leader uh preaching, teaching roles, and they were doing it in an inappropriate manner. They were causing all kinds of hurt and pain and division. So Paul's just like, time out, enough's enough. So I think that was very contextual to that church at that time. Granted, he does base his argument in the creation order. So there's something there. I'm gonna talk about that a bit more in February. So does it mean that women can never teach in a church? I do not believe that that's what this text is preaching. I don't believe that that's what that's saying. But if you look at the greater context of this passage, it is saying something about the role of men and women, particularly as we get into chapter 3, which I read earlier. So let's listen. Uh, Actually, we're not going to listen. I already read it. Um, Let's talk about the role of men and women in the church because Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one speak to this, which has huge implications on how we lead our church here. So if you pay close attention, our church is led at the highest level by six male elders, right? What does this mean? This means that once a month we gather um, and we as a male led elder team do our best to lead our church in vision and mission. Um, we, we do this collectively. Um, there are five, uh, volunteer elders. I am the sixth one. Uh, obviously I'm a, I'm a paid elder. Um, we gather twice a year with, uh, all of our lead staff and all of our spouses together. So there's about 30 of us in the room. And it's in those meetings that we ask the big questions about God. Where are you going? What does vision and mission look like? And, and we contend and we pray and we seek the Lord together as a team. Cause I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Right, And why do we do that? Why do we have a male elder uh, team here? Um, we do that because from the best of my understanding of Scripture, when it comes to the top leadership role, every piece of language in Scripture is masculine. I, and I can't get around that. Right, and, and I recognize that there are godly, loving churches who see that differently. Um, I, I don't. Regardless of how I feel about it, and I love and value, and we love and value women here, right? Like, we know that men and women are created equally before God, 100% equal, and I believe that we have different functions and different roles in certain areas, right? It's just like in a marriage, Right? My job as a man is to lead my wife, and I do that the best of my ability, and God calls me to do that sacrificially. He tells me to lay down my life like Jesus laid down his life, and I think the same role is true of in a church. We ought to lead well by sacrificing. Right? And so we try our best to be, um, to, to, to follow what scripture teaches. And, and again, some churches are going to see this differently but I don't want to be the guy and we don't want to be the church. that's like, well, it feels weird. So we're just going to do this. Even though we think scripture teaches this, I would way rather bend a cultural norm to what I believe to be true about scripture than say, you know what, let's, let's do this over here. And so, man, we want to be a church that understands um, that we're going to follow scripture the best that we can. And um, at the at the heart of it, I, I do believe that this is scripture's teaching that at the top level, our elders need to be men. Um, does it mean that there will not be a time when women, like, we could have a woman come and give a sermon? Like, that, that, is, that is totally scripturally okay. But at our top level, I fully believe, and I fully believe this text is teaching, that our elder team is to be led by men. And at the end of the day, the truth is, I think that's a good thing. And I think it's a good thing because... Um, men are called to lead, right? And, and we live in a society where a lot of that role has been abdicated from men. Uh, and I'll tell you the truth. I, I talk to married people all the time. I talk to hundreds of married people. And if you look even in a marriage where a guy isn't leading and he is struggling in his life to figure out who he is, like that, that's a messy marriage. And I think the same is true in a church. If you look at a church where men are not leading, like God has called us to leave, it's a messy church. And so at the end of the day, I believe that God has given that role for us. And Man, I, I say all this with the most humble posture I can say it, and I know it ruffles feathers, and I'd love to talk to you about it, and we can talk more about it later, but that's what Scripture, I believe, says. Uh, number four, I feel like this is where I should say, like, do, are there any questions? <laughs> but but I, I clearly don't have time. Um, uh, number four, a good church and a good leader cares for its people. Um... In case you thought Christianity teaches like a chauvinistic, patriarchal abuse of others, uh, Paul just makes it super clear. Let's go five one. Uh, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. And uh, he has a heart for women here. Uh, He has a heart for men uh, in this society. You notice he doesn't, never in scripture is like, hey, if there's an older guy, we need to really make sure to take care of him. He's like, no, women are more vulnerable here. We need to take care of them. In a society where there's no social security, right, there's no uh, life insurance policies, like the church's responsibility is to take care of people who are in need, right? And that's same true today right? It, we want to be a church that takes care of people who have needs, right? Which is why we do things inside and outside the church to try to do that, right? We think about inside the church, like um, we have a care fund and a lot of us give to that. Right now, there's some $30,000 that we try to give out as often as possible to people with needs, right? So if you're here today and you have any sort of need, we want to meet those needs. There is nothing more fun than handing out money, right? Like then being able to say like, you get a car and you like, no, we don't do cars, but like, hey, we'll pay, we'll help pay for rent, right? If you're struggling right now and you need some assistance, like our heart is to help people with needs, right? We do that outside the church too. We do that with our our partners, Love Inc. I I think about what's going on even at the other side of campus right now. Um, we, We got a house down there and it's filled with like, we got linens for people who need like bed sheets and we got clothes for people can't afford clothes and we're currently clearing out space to set up an office for corvallis for refugees we're bringing families from around the world here like we're trying to have a heart for those who have needs and man i would just say like join us in that Uh, join us individually on your own effort to meet needs where people have them and and join us through our care fund and if you know of people in our church who have needs do not be afraid to speak up like you have a church family who wants you to do well and who's given money to be generous to you. A good church and a good leader cares for its people. Yeah. Lastly, a good church and a good leader doesn't fall in love with this world. Let's go to chapter six, verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, this is verse seven, and we cannot take anything out of it. Out of this world, jump to eleven. But as for you, O oh man, flee these things. He's saying, flee the love of money, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He goes on to encourage Timothy, who again is in the city of Ephesus. Um, man, it's it's a thriving city but it's a city with all the worldly pleasures. And he says, don't fall in love with this world. Again, this is the end of his first letter. He's a free man. He's writing to his brother. He's saying, hey, there's a lot of temptation to fall in love with this world, right? And here's the truth. Like we have that same temptation. this uh, Two weeks ago, as Gary said, um, our high school team went to Hume Lake and my family and my extended family. And I had an opportunity to, to be up there with them. It was a super cool time. And um, we were in one of the chapel sessions and, and the speaker was talking about um, uh, having a heart set on the here and now uh, and forgetting about the future on accident and, and how easy it is. And he gave this analogy. and I thought it was beautiful and it really struck my heart. And he talked about, imagine you're driving to the Grand Canyon. Um, all of us, you know, everyone's all excited about national parks these days. It's like the new thing. And so we're driving to the Grand Canyon and imagine you, you, you stop at the sign uh, to the Grand Canyon and you pull over the side of the road and you see this beautiful sign. And yeah, it's a sign that's, you know, welcome to Grand Canyon National Park and it's built of cedar and it's got nice rocks on it. And imagine you take your picture in front of that sign as a lot of us like to do on these types of trips. And imagine after you take that picture, you're like, all right, let's get back in the car and let's go home. And you never actually make it to the Grand Canyon, but you're like, I saw the sign and it was beautiful and it was amazing. And you never actually made it to the final destination of the actual Grand Canyon. And some of us live our lives like that. Like some of us live our lives, the here and now, as if this is all we were made for, right? But the truth is, God made us for something so much bigger than the here and now. He made us for a future in heaven with him. That's the Grand Canyon. That's the thing that we're all headed towards. And we can get so fixated on the here and now, on the pleasures of life. And I'll tell you what, it's easy to do. Man, it was easy for me. Right? I, I feel like I'm in a pretty good season in life right now, right? Like, it seems like church is going pretty well. Like love our team, love our elders, I love all the women of this church equally, (laughs) right? Not equally. I love one more than the rest of you equally. Um, You know, my my wife and I just celebrated 17 years. That's good. Like, my family's moving on Tuesday. Like, we're excited about that. In town, we're not moving away. Um, There's a lot of really great things to be excited about, right? And, And as the speaker was saying these things, I'm like, you know what? Like, I think my head's been a little more down lately, a little more down to the here and now, to what's right in front of me. And sometimes like, you just got to crank it up a little and look past the stupid sign to the future of where you're going. And that future is a future with God, right? Like the scripture says that right now, everything is a shadow of what's to come. And we fall in love with the shadows sometimes rather than the substance that the shadow is cast from. Right? And so as Paul writes to Timothy, he's saying, don't fall in love with the shadow. You've got something better coming. Live for something bigger. And man, that can be easy to do. As we keep going, um, and we go into 2 Timothy, I'm going to read. I think we got some time. Um, Paul's writing, and uh, again, he's this is his second imprisonment. This is the only letter that he writes the second time. And I love, I love what he does. He does a few things here. Um, ultimately, the, the, the book of Second Timothy, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week in, in terms of Titus, he talks about more false teaching, um, incorrect doctrine. Uh, but he, he writes to say like, hey, you got my first letter and, and it's still hard, right? Like you're in Ephesus and there's still a lot of opposition, Like being a Christian in your culture is still really hard. Keep going. Uh, Keep going. Like keep your head up. Keep going. Um, He says some beautiful things. Let's let's go chapter one, verse eight. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. don't, Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. Chapter two, verse 22. So flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Um, I love this, and, and I'm gonna land the plane on this. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Man, those are words that every one of us should like long to be able to say someday. Like that that should be our aim. Right? Like if you are a healthy church and a healthy leader and a healthy follower of Jesus, every one of us ought to long to have that be our final words. I have fought the good fight. And, and that's not to say that Paul didn't go through hard seasons. It's not to say that Paul wasn't an aggressive hater of Christianity at one point and did regrettable things over and over and over. But he's still able to say at the end, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I love that last piece. And this is where we're going to end. And we are going to end with communion. He doesn't say at the very end here, he doesn't say, uh, and you'll get the crown if you lived a great life. He doesn't say, and you'll get the crown if you made it to 50 out of 52 Sundays. He doesn't say, you'll, you'll get the crown if, if you've led 1,700 people to the Lord. He, he doesn't say any of that. What does he say? He will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's it. Like, that's the qualifier. Do you love his appearing? Right? And that's ultimately where communion is going to lead us today. Um, and it's going to lead us to the cross. that says, do I love his appearing? And what does he mean by that? He means Jesus coming to earth as God dying in my place. Do I love, do I love that appearing? Have I committed my life to that appearing? Do I hold my crown on that appearing? Not on my works. And Paul, Paul could go off on all his works right here. But the last, these are, these are literally the last words of Paul. He says, uh, will award on that day, not only to me, but also on those who have loved his appearing. Man, I want to spend some time loving his appearing. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to say a few more things about communion. Band, why don't you come up while I'm praying. Father God, um, man, we thank you for these pastoral epistles. God, I thank you for the the father heart of Paul who writes to younger Timothy Um, after 20 years of doing ministry together. And he says, hey, remember that one time when I, I warned your church in Acts chapter 20, when I warned your elders that from within, false teachers would arise and, and things would get hard. And, and he writes and he's saying, yeah, now's that moment. Hang on, hang in there, keep going. God, I, I thank you that we have these instructions, this outline of what a godly church looks like. And God, we wanna hold on to these principles and, and we wanna be led by you. We don't wanna be led by me. God, we don't even want to be led by our elders. God, we want to be led by you and we get instruction in that from your word. And so we hold that with high regard. God, I thank you that as we close this all out, God, we can come to the table and we can appear at you and we can look towards you and we can put our faith and our trust in you. Jesus, let us do that today. Um, as we're taking communion right now, um, communion is this, this space where um, we're going to go to these different tables on our own and we grab a, a silly cup with juice in it and a cracker and it represents Christ's death and resurrection in his body and his blood. And really my heart today is that we would look at commitment. What does it mean to appear uh, at Jesus, What does it mean to look at him? What does it mean to commit to him? And I, and I was thinking about my, my wife and I, I was thinking about 17 years, you know, a couple weeks ago, we spent 17 years celebrating. And, and I think about what that commitment is. And, and on one level, it is a commitment of saying yes, right? 17 some odd years ago, we stood in front of hundreds of people and we said yes to each other, right? And that's, that's part of the commitment. And that's a big part, but a bigger part to that yes is also saying no, to a thousand other people and a, and a million other things, right? Because that one yes—if that yes doesn't come with a billion other nos—that one yes is meaningless. When right? you think about this, you think about it in my relationship, if I give my wife a ring and I said, do you love me? And she said, yes. And then I gave another ring to someone else and said, do you love me? And they said, yes. And I gave my ring to another person. and They said, yes. Following Jesus is saying yes. It's making that commitment and we are saved. But then continuing that is saying no to a billion other things, right? And those billion other things are our life at the sign, Right, their, their life right here and right now, and they're all the pleasures of the world, they're all the pleasures of Ephesus. And I want this table time, this time where you go and take communion, you're gonna take it on your own. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask yourselves, what are the things that I need to say no to in my life right now? Because I've said yes, I've said yes to following him, but there are things that creep in sometimes that I, I just need to say no to again. And I had to lift my eyes up and I had to look towards that future Grand Canyon, that future place that I'm headed and say no to the things that would keep me right here. Let's take communion together.
0: Love you guys. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com where you'll find ways to engage with us and if you're able we'd love to see you at church next Sunday thanks again for listening